everybody everybody got a break huh didn't have class for a while and here we are back again gonna try it how many of you read the first chapter anybody awesome awesome it's not like to convict anybody who didn't that's not the goal here all right um it's nice because it's uh it's not a long book and uh you get one chapter so if you didn't read it you've only got like two chapters to be caught up in a week that's pretty good right um is it okay if I share a little bit about some cool stuff God has been doing? Is that okay? You know, there's something when we testify of what God is doing, the works of God, it increases the works of God. Are you familiar with that? Okay? Because what happens, you begin to, when you begin to hear about God working miracles, doing something in somebody's life, you go, oh, yeah, that's what he does. Right? And if you don't hear of those miracles of God, then what you do, you reduce your Christian experience down to going to church, you know, listening to a sermon, listening to some music, and evaluating whether it was as good as the one last week, right? And then you go home, and you go through the routine again. But a couple of these, um, I think one of them I shared in the second service, but one of them I know I didn't. So I got a call. Um, from Valerie, um, and she said, there's a woman that has a brain tumor, and uh, would you pray with her before men's Bible study, which was last night? And I said, absolutely. And I said, how did you meet her? He said, well, I was out walking, and I just started talking to this woman, and she started telling me about this brain tumor she has, and it's already begun to affect her speech a little bit. And so I had, she has one of these little, um, little recorders, and it's just a loop of, of scriptures. It just repeats scriptures on healing. It's really cool. It's a really cool deal. I don't know where she got it, but it's, it's like super cool. So anyway, so she's talking to this woman. She says, well, I'm going out of town for a while. Why don't you just borrow it? You can just have it, and I'll come back by and get it. And this woman's name is Lena, okay? So you can put her name down to pray for. And she went, her name went in the prayer wall yesterday, I believe, but uh, maybe before that. But anyway, so, um, so Lena came with a friend of hers uh, whose name escapes me right now. So I set her down, and Valerie kind of tipped me off and saying, I don't know if she really knows Christ. So you might just want to be aware of that. So um, it was really neat because I was, if you saw me, if you were coming in here last night for the, the women group kind of things that were happening here, and I was sitting out here, you probably wonder, what, what's going on out there? You know, and I got men in there that are eating hamburgers and hot dogs, and, you know, we got three-ring circus going on around here. So um, I sat down in front of her, and I just walked her through very carefully, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? And I took her through the Roman road. You know, if you're familiar with that, Romans 3.23, write it down if you don't know it. 3.23, 6.23, 6.23, 5.8, 10.9, and 10. Okay? And you can take those scriptures and lead a person to Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The free gift of God um, is eternal life, right? God demonstrates his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so it's, it's a really succinct kind of way to, to kind of share your faith with someone. So anyway, I shared that with her, and I, and I you know, a lot of times when you're sharing with someone, and she has a, a faith, okay, so she said she was Catholic, and and I said, hey, I'm using this, these are the same verses in your Catholic Bible. Oh, I know it is. I know. I'm not worried about that. So, you know, when someone wants to get saved and they're so ready, it almost surprises you. And I go, would you like to pray a prayer of salvation? 
She said, I really would. Could we do that now? So this woman got saved yesterday. And in that amen? Amen. And I told her, I said, you know, if the tumor goes away but you don't know Christ, what have you got? What do you really have, right? So then, and I've only had what I'm getting ready to share, that only had happened one other time uh, in my life, but I was praying with her, and I anointed her with oil, and, and as I was praying with her, it, I, I kept fighting calling her Mary. I just wanted to call her Mary. And that only happened one other time when I was in South Africa in Cape Town um, earlier this year. And I was up speaking, and I was trying to give an illustration. And it was this was before the crusade. This was in Cape Town. And um, we were doing a conference there. And there was a lady sitting right over here, and like third person over. And you could tell she had a little attitude. You know, I mean, you know, you can always tell when a woman has an attitude, right? Okay. You can tell when a man has an attitude, too. I don't want to be sexist here. You can just tell when somebody's got a little, something's going on there, a little attitude going on. And so when that happens, you know, that to me is my mark. That's my signal. You know, that's like, go get them. So I'm trying to give this illustration about Sarah, and after God, you know, said she was going to have a child, after she had a child, her name was changed to Sarah with an H. Remember that? So it's Sarah, and then they add the H, and that was indicative that she was with child. So I looked at her, and I said, for example, imagine if someone changed your name. Like for you, for example, I looked right at her, and I said, uh, so today you're going to be Sarah with an H. And she just kind of got mad at me. And I'm just making an illustration. Well, when I saw that she didn't like it, I had to go in deeper. Because I knew there was something spiritual going on in this woman's life. Okay? And I said, so for the rest of this conference, to me, you're going to be known as Sarah. She says, I don't want to be Sarah. And I said, well, you're going to be Sarah. Okay? She simmered down a little bit, and she's actually Jewish, Christian, converted Jew. So afterwards, she comes over in tears, just tears running down her face. And I said, okay, what's going on? She said, I've grown bitter because I've wanted a child so bad. And, uh, and I was praying a few months ago, and God took me to that passage about Sarah with an H, and it just made me so mad. And we prayed. I don't, I don't know the rest of the story. I don't know whether she's pregnant or not pregnant, so I wish I had more to the story to tell you. But I said, she said, when you said that, I knew it was from the Lord. And she said, from now on, from now on, I'm going to tell people my name's Sarah. And the funny thing she said is, and I can't remember what her name was, but she said, I've never liked my real name. Isn't that funny? So last night, I'm praying with this woman, and I just keep, I can't, I keep, I know her name's Lena, and I keep call. I want to call her Mary. I didn't call her Mary. And I just stopped, and I said, this is really strange, and I don't know if it means anything to you, but when I was praying, I just felt like I was, your name was supposed to, your spiritual name was supposed to be Mary. And I, God gave me the scripture from Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 where it says that the power of the Almighty shall overshadow you, talking about when Gabriel came, remember, and Mary. And so when I said that to her, she starts crying. She says, my mother's name was Mary, and my mother always told me about faith and how I should trust God. So, um, of course, everybody's, you know, getting the, the angel bumps, you know, on their arms and stuff and, and just thinking, you know, God is just doing something. So, if you think of it, pray for Lena, pray for, for her healing, and pray that God works a miracle in her life. Um, 
so that was kind of cool. Then, um, so afterwards, uh, after the first service, uh, hi, Ted. Uh, after the first service, uh, a woman came up to me, and she's Chinese. And uh, I, she's been coming for several months, I think, and she kind of got in this learn English with Lucinda down in Irvine. You know, Lucinda has uh, got all these Chinese you know, families that have come over, and the husbands are super involved in their business, and, and they're working all the time. And so the women, they don't have no social life. They don't have any English skills. So she said, okay, I'll teach you English. And she uses the textbook as the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Yes, you can learn English, but you will learn it in the Bible. Okay? So a lot of them have come to faith in Christ. And there's one that's kind of the ringleader, you know, and she's kind of, she's always pulling them in and bringing them in in any way. So uh, a week or two ago, I prayed for this woman, and her English is not great. Neither's mine, but hers is worse. Okay? And by the way, is it cold in here? Okay? We can take care of that. We'll, when it gets hot again, we'll kick it back up. Don't You know, it's kind of like for the weaker brother, right? Okay. All right. If it gets hot again, we'll turn it back on because it's really simple. So, um, so I'm talking to her, and she wants me to pray for her healing. And I, I don't even know what I'm praying for. You know, sometimes, you know, when people are they're talking to you, even if they, their English is really good, you don't. I'm trying, and I, after you say what four times, you're a little embarrassed. So I just said, God, I just pray for healing. I pray whatever it is, God, just remove it, take it away, whatever. So she comes up, and she's in tears after the second service. And I said, what's going on? She says, I want to repent. That's, what, that's kind of the word she's, I want to repent. And I said, what do you want to repent of? She said, because God healed me. And I said, what? And she said, yes. She said, you prayed for me, and I had uh, a lump in my breast, and it's completely gone. And she said, and I want, and I said, why do you want to repent? I said, aren't you a Christian? She said, yes, but I didn't know how powerful God was until he did this. And I want to repent because I have not trusted God enough. Isn't that great? See, the works of God testify of the greatness of God. That's why when Paul came to the Corinthians, remember this? He said, I didn't come to you with eloquent words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, Paul was saying, my words were not enough. And you know what else it goes on to say in that passage? It says, and, and God was doing that through me. Why? So your faith would not rest in man but in God. See, sometimes we have more faith in this book than we do in the true God. This book is God's book, and, it's, and I believe it's true from cover to cover, Right? So I don't have any doubt in this, but some people become, this becomes more, uh, more of a, a, a piece of, of, of worship, an object of worship, than the true God. This is, this is God's word to point us to the true and the living God. Amen? Right? And so we always want to keep that, that fine balance in there and, and not end up worshiping the wrong thing and, or worshiping faith. You ever heard anybody say this to you? Uh, I just feel like everything's going to be okay. Now, what that is, that's faith, but that's faith in faith, not faith in God. It's not objective. There's not an object of your faith. Faith, that is subjective faith. I feel like it's going to be okay. It's going to work out. You know, and sometimes it really does, and sometimes you've got just kind of a spiritual hunch about it, right? You've got a sense in your spirit that there's something, it's going to be okay, but that's not, 
that's not biblical faith in God. And we just want to make sure we understand what we're saying, right? And that way our faith is always on an, in the object of our faith, God himself. Amen? Well, I think this book, uh, by the way, let me tell you what happened. We, uh, Nathan and I had talked, and we had one of those uh, high-level meetings, you know. Hey, what do you think we ought to do the next class on? And uh, that's a high, our high-level high meeting. And we talked about really maybe some stuff on eschatology because so many people want to know what's going on in the world today and so forth. And, and I felt really good about it. It's a subject I'm pretty comfortable with. But um, I started reading this book, and I thought, this book is just too good. we got to do this book. we got to do this book. And here's what I really want to say to you. I think it is so practical that I think you're going to find it very, very usable. In fact, in the back, there's an appendix. Um, and and I, I challenge you to go back and check that out sometime. There's a number of different helpful kind of tools. There's, a, there's an FAQ back there that you can use. There's one little chart back there I thought would really be good just to photocopy and just tape in the back of your Bible. That one right there? Okay. And let me, can I borrow your book? Okay. So it's on page 220. Ministry of Deliverance and Corresponding Infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then what it says here, it's got like, uh, what Jesus did here, like rebuke and cast out, spirit of infirmity, then the scriptural reference, Luke 13, receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit for life and healing, and then the scripture reference, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 12. And I just think sometimes, you know, we don't know how to, how to pray or where to find something, and if we have a little bit of direction, um, uh, I think it can help us a great deal. So uh, let's, uh, let's just jump into this uh, subject tonight uh, on this, in this first chapter, um, Greater is he. Okay, let me just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I pray right now your presence will, we know your presence is here, God. We thank you that the worship uh, dispelled and, and dispersed the darkness. And that we stand here in your presence and in the power of, of the Spirit of God. We speak with authority, the authority that comes from Almighty God. We are nothing in and of ourselves, God. And in fact, we, we have to remind ourselves constantly that we must walk humbly before you. We must set aside anything that we think is important about us, that you might be lifted up and you might be exalted. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Well, he starts with this uh, discussion on snakes, and uh, all of us can uh, disappreciate snakes, right? I mean, nobody really likes snakes, I hope. I know there's always somebody that says, oh, I have a pet snake, and it's wonderful, and it ate my cat, but other than that, it's a great pet. Um, but you know what, snakes, um, snakes somehow they, they point us to that, that, that serpent in the beginning. And he talks about how we let things get into our life and like we let things in our house. We were sitting in our, in our uh, family room uh, one night and we had we have these two big back double doors and I had them open. And all we had on was a TV and one little light. And it was a nice cool night, you know, California, right? And all of a sudden, I f you know, you, when you feel something go by and then you think you see something, and I felt something kind of go by, and I felt like wind on my face. I said, what was that? And as I looked up, a bat had flown in our house, which is not a good thing, right? So here I am. I got T-shirts on and boxer shorts, and I'm going to have to go fight Batman, right? I mean, that's how it felt. I'm, I got to go get bat, the bat. And so the bat, so I, Tammy goes, what are we doing? I go, I don't know. And she says, I'm going to go get the pool filter, you know, the pool net. So she runs out and gets the pool net. Well, you know, it's got an eight-foot arm on it, right? Now, if you ever tried to run through the house with a pool net in boxer shorts and T-shirt, it's, it's, a, it's a hilarious sight. I mean, she should have grabbed the camera, right? 
The bat goes upstairs. Oh, yeah, he's going up. He's going up. He's, he's hitting high ground, and I'm running up the stairs with this pool net trying to catch this bat. Well, now here's a standoff. The bat's like right there, and I'm here. I am scared to death because all I can think of, this bat is jumping on my neck. It's doing something. You know, I'm going in Twilight Series. Something's happening here. I know it's going to happen, right? Well, I am taking that net, and I'm I'm doing it. I mean, I'm doing like super workout. You want a good workout, ladies? Get a bat in your house. Get a net with an eight-foot pole on it and try to catch the freaking bat. So I'm flaming this thing around, and I finally I hit the bat, knock the bat down, kill the bat. How many of you feel bad for the bat? Yeah, wait until it gets in your house. You will hate the bat. So I kill the bat, so I get the bat, I take it outside, I throw it over the fence because we have a green area back there, you know, just let the coyotes or whatever get it. I'm done with the bat. I'm shutting the doors. Now I'm afraid for my life. So I get my computer out. Why do bats come in your house? Bats never come in your house unless they're rabid. Now how do you feel? It didn't belong in our house. How did it get in? Door was open. But what else was characteristic that we found out about it? Rabbit. Something wrong with it. They don't typically do that. Okay? It could have got off course a little bit and just not been rabbit. I don't know. All I know is there was something. It did not belong in my house, and there was something wrong with it. So I want you to think about the spiritual uh, dimensions that we live and move in. There are things that get in your house that don't belong there. And that house is your temple the body of the living God. When God created you, he created you as a tripart being. So you have a body, physical body, and you have a soul, body, soul, and spirit, right? Mind, will, and emotions. And so in your mind, your will, and emotions, subject to attack. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in your human spirit. Okay, we have a human spirit. We'll call that little s, Holy Spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our spirit, That's why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, it says that our spirit is quickened alive, is made alive. That old word quickened alive, you'll see it like in the old King James. It really kind of makes sense because have you ever ever jammed something underneath your fingernail and it gets into the quick, into something that's sensitive? It doesn't belong there. So what happens is when your spirit human spirit, it's dead in trespasses and in sin. When the Holy Spirit comes in, it quickens it alive. It's a shock to the system, okay? And so it brings life. Now, what does the enemy do? The enemy wants to, to obviously, he can inflict our physical body, can he not? I mean, you know, not everybody in the New Testament that um, was sick was sick because of demonic activity. Some were just sick, right? And we've got to avoid the extremes. The extreme is that there is no Satan, and the other one is demons are everywhere, okay? And you've got to find a balance in there. There's a great danger when every time somebody coughs, you know, you go, well, let's, man, let's rebuke it and puke it, okay? There's also a danger in ascribing everything to the, to the physical, natural realm and avoiding the spiritual realm altogether. So we want to keep a balance, all right? Fair enough? Okay? Now, the problem is we don't know how to discern sometimes what's really going on in our own life or in somebody else's life. 
We don't know if that's spiritual activity. We don't know what's going on. But this first chapter in this book is going to help us kind of process through some of that, think through some of it. Sometimes we don't even get all the answers we're looking for. What we get is we get a curiosity to dig deeper into the, into the heart and the mind of God or into the Word of God so that we might better understand what God is up to and what God is doing or what the enemy is trying to do in our life. So what we want to think about is, are there any doors or windows that we've left open in our life? And if there are, we want to close them. Okay, we want to close them. But we want to get something out before we close them. Amen? So we'll talk about that a little bit. All right, so 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says this, what? Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. You see, the reason that's such a powerful verse, we all like it, because first of all, it's easy to remember. But also, it has this great kernel of truth, doesn't it? Whenever I feel overwhelmed, what I do is I quote that scripture and say, greater is he that is in me. I've got this, this amazing power. Think about it. God chose to dwell in you and call you his temple. You're the walking, moving temple of the living God. It's not this fixed monument in Jerusalem. No, God said, I can do better than that. I can take my glory, put it in you, and let you go anywhere and everywhere you need to go to get to the people that need to encounter God. Isn't that cool? So when you, see, we forget that. You know, if you're overwhelmed, I'm under so much attack. I'm under so much oppression, you know. I love the story uh, Leonard Ravenhill tells. Uh, he said a lady uh, came up to him after one of his meetings, and she said, oh, uh, uh, Mr. Ravenhill said, I got up this morning, the devil was on my side, and he hasn't left me alone all day. And he said to her, he said, you must really be something, because the devil can only be in one place at one time, and for him to spend all day with you, you must really be a problem for him. And, of course, it was tongue-in-cheek, right? See, Satan doesn't have to spend long, very long with you. And he's got angelic beings that are fallen called demonic spirits. And so they can, uh, they can bring a lot of havoc in your life. So the whole idea of 1 John 4, 4 is we never need to be afraid of evil. But we need to respect evil. Now, let me give you an example of that. In the book of Jude, pick any chapter you want. Because there's only one. Okay? In Jude chapter 1, it says this, that Michael, the archangel, did not revile Lucifer, Satan, when he wanted the body of Moses. It's an odd verse, isn't it? It's a little odd. You go, what is going on? Book, book of Jude, it's got some crazy stuff in there. And it's only got, what, 26, 28 chapters, or 28 verses, something like that? So, What's going on there? Michael said Satan wanted the body of Moses when he died. Michael said, he's not yours. Satan says, he is mine, he's dead, and he disobeyed God. So it says, Michael did not rebuke him or revile him, but he called on the name of the Lord and said, the Lord rebuke you. Now what was going on there? Spiritual authority. So remember, you've got You've got three archangels. You've got Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Lucifer fell from heaven, right? So on an authority level, they're on the same level. Two are holy and one is unholy. Each of them had a role to play in God's kingdom. 
So what's going on here is that Michael did not have the authority in his own name, in his own power, to rebuke Lucifer, so he called upon the name of the Lord. So when I say we respect authority, we do that in the spiritual and in the physical realm as well. So when we want to rebuke or resist, whose name do we use? The Lord Jesus, right? We always want to prep because that's our authority. Without authority, we have lawlessness, don't we? Okay? And, and lawlessness is never going to be honored by God. So we want to keep that always in mind as we think about it. Okay. So we're not immune to the, uh, to the effects of, uh, of the enemy as he comes up against us. Uh, we're going to struggle with things like depression, lust, discontentment, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, or despair. It's part of the human malady, right? It's part of our human condition. That so, there are going to be times when you're a little discouraged. That doesn't mean you're under attack. doesn't mean that, you, that somehow the enemy has lodged himself in your mind. It just may mean you're, you know, you're just going through some ups and downs of being human. Okay? However, if there is a persistence and a, and a willingness on your part to be free from that and you can't ever become free of that, it might be what Hebrews calls a besetting sin. Okay? And what that means is it's lodged itself somehow in the pattern of my living in such a way, in my pattern of my believing, that has become a part of my life. So you might, the easiest way to kind of look at it is to say, is there something that I I keep repeating and I have maybe my whole lifetime and I keep going back to that and I always feel bad after I do it and I always go back to God with some kind of words like this, God, I know you're tired of hearing me and, and I'm just so sorry again and I know you just don't even want to forgive me anymore, okay? That's an indication that you've set a pattern in your life, there's, there's something that needs to be broken somewhere along the line, Okay? So these are some of the kind of things we're going to talk about and how to get there. Let's take our Bibles, if we can, and go to the book of Ephesians, okay? And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. This is on page 1031. Does that help? Some of you have the same Bible as I do, I know, because so, we sell it in the bookstore, so I know you've, it helps some of you. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, and let's begin looking at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So God never tells you to be strong in your own power and your own might. You've got to pull back and say, I'm going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because I'm I'm I don't have enough to compete in this war he's getting ready to talk about. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Literally there, it's the strategies and the manipulations of the devil. Do you know how long the enemy has been watching your family line? You think he doesn't know your characteristics, your weaknesses, and your strengths? He's been watching you. He's been listening, been seeing, and says, you know what, and, I'm, and he's patient. So he says, we have to be careful here because why? He's wily. For we do not wrestle. You ever wrestled? When I was a junior in high school, I, I didn't really never like wrestling. It was just like grabbing hold of a greasy, sweaty guy never just really turned me on, right? And, uh, and so I was walking by the wrestling room, and I'd played football, and, and I'd thrown uh, the shot put. So, you know, I liked athletics, but, you know, not wrestling. And, but I, I like to do it kind of out there, you know, just in the front yard with guys, that kind of stuff. So I walked by, and, 
and they go, hey, come on in and come in the wrestling room. They got their the temperature turned up. It's hot. It's sweaty, right? And they got the guy. Um, his name was Brad, and he was the state champion, heavyweight champion, the year before. Come on in here and wrestle Brad. I go, I take Brad. Right? I take Brad. Okay? So I go in, I wrestle Brad, and I pin him. True. God's truth. All right? Wrestling coach is looking at me going, what's that? Well, the wrestling coach was also the, the line coach for the football, which I played line. And he goes, you need to go out for wrestling. I said, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to wrestle with a bunch of sweaty guys. He said, if you want to play football next year, you're going out for wrestling. Right? I go out for like two weeks. I go, I quit. I don't even want to play football anymore. I'm not wrestling. No, I'm not grabbing a hold of greasy, sweaty guys anymore. I mean, it's work. Right? They put plastic pants on you. They want you to sweat. I mean, it's, it's horrible. What? It's just torturous. Right? Now, think about that picture. I'm wrestling an opponent that I can't really get hold of because he's sweaty and greasy. Stinks. That's, that's the analogy, isn't it? We wrestle. We're wrestling. It's not like we're boxing, we're stepping back. We wrestle here against what? Principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. All of those things there, you see those in verse 12? Those are all levels of authority, different kinds of demonic forces. Now, I want to just take you a minute over here to the board. And I drew something that is kind of help us to... Uh, kind of put this in our mind. If you think about the spiritual dimension, we think about earth, okay? And and I'll show you where this analogy breaks down here. But we think about earth, but there is an atmosphere above us, that's where birds fly in. If you want a reference to this, it's Psalm 148 verses 1 through 4. Okay? It talks about the three heavens. Okay? There are three heavens, right? Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I know a man in the spirit or out of the spirit I do not know, but this man was taken to the third heaven. And he saw and heard things that he's not permitted to speak. Okay? So there's a third heaven. There's also what's called a second heaven, which is the heavenly places. And this we might say in here, in this realm, we can say angels and demons. Okay? And then this one here is just birds. They fly in this atmosphere. It's also called a heaven. First heaven. Second heaven. Third heaven. This is where God dwells. Okay? In terms of his presence is known. Okay? Um, or his position is known. So what happens is, what we're doing is, this warfare is going on like this. It's going from earth, from where we are, into the heavenly realm. Now, in reality, the heavenly realm isn't like this, you know, this, this sphere of, or these concentric circles. What the heavenly realm really is, is uh, it, it's here, right? It's, it's here. See, it's here. It's, it's another dimension of here. But for us to get an understanding of it, we have to kind of put it in human terminology so we kind of grasp it, right? But, but how far away is our angels? They're right here. How far away are demonic forces? Right here. We can't see demonic forces, right, without a certain sense of spiritual eyes. You know, and maybe there are some people who've seen into that realm and they see that or they, they get a vision of that. Uh, we can see angels because they manifest themselves as men. But we can't always see angels, right? 
When they do appear in the Bible, they appear as men. So we're, this is kind of the, the, the thing we're doing. Now, what happened? When, remember when Jesus came? He said that he entered this present evil age in the book of Ephesians. So what happens is God became flesh, and he entered into time and space. That's what Jesus did. He entered into time and space. He took on limitations um, as God and was born in the likeness of men. So in that, that's, but, but he had knowledge, more knowledge than we do, obviously. He didn't give up all that knowledge within that heavenly places kind of area where there are all these spiritual principalities and powers and wicked rulers in, in, heav- in the heavenly places. See there verse 12? Therefore, okay, because we wrestle, because our battle isn't flesh and blood, you ever thought that your real battle was against somebody? Sure you did. Now oh, they're just wicked. They're just mean. They're just sinful. They're just, you know what? The real issue is what's pushing the buttons behind the, the curtain. Okay? That's really what's going on. And guess what? Any one of us can be used of the enemy, can we not? Remember? Let him who, 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 stand, who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? what? Lest he fall. Okay. Therefore, he says, therefore, on the basis of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice the definite article there? The evil day. What he's saying is there's going to come the evil days in your life. It's not every day is an evil day. There might be evil in the world, but not every day is the evil day. There's going to come in a special time of testing. So let's, get, let's think about it. when was Jesus' first the evil day that we can think of in Scripture? Where, what, what? Yeah, the temptation. Matthew 4, right? It says he fasted, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? to be tested of the devil. So the Spirit of God led him into testing. That's why he tells us in in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, remember this one? And lead us not into temptation. Because that's what what the Spirit of God did for him. He's saying, you want to know how to pray? You don't want to go through what I went through. You don't want to go there. So this is how you pray. And lead us not into temptation, the evil day. So he says here, he says, in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, above all, take up the shield of faith, wherewith you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, let me just give you a little hint here. That little word, word right there, somewhere in your Bible, just write the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Now, there's two words that are translated primarily in the, in the New Testament, word. One is logos, L-O-G-O-S. Are you familiar with that word? Okay. The other one is rhema. Okay. So this Bible here. Would this Bible here be Logos or Rima? Okay, be careful. Huh? Well, technically, it could be both, right? But right until God speaks to me through it, it's Logos. So what is Rima? Rima is a word from the Word where God specifically speaks to you out of His Word and makes application in your life for that particular situation. 
So what he's doing here, he's telling you, he's not saying when you get in this battle, hold up the Bible against the devil and he'll run it and be afraid. He's saying, no, when you get in the evil day, you need a word from the word. Guess what? Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus refers to the word, what word do you think he says? Man shall not live by word alone, but every, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, or by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What word do you think he uses? Rima. Because you know what he did? He had a word from the Old Testament. He said, that's applicable here. If I'm going to win this battle, I've got to have a word from the word. I can't just quote random scriptures. I can't do like the Hollywood movies, hold up my cross and everything runs away from me. I need a word from the word. You see, what God has done, he has created a system whereby for us to be successful, we have to be spiritually minded. We have to walk in the spirit, live in the spirit. We have to pray in the spirit. We have to be moving in the spiritual dimension if we're going to be effective. Otherwise, we're going to be like every other Christian who just doesn't see it coming right, and gets plowed over by it, or devil says, I don't need to mess with them. There's, there's no danger there. They're just fine. They're no threat to my kingdom, so I'll just leave them alone. So he says, which is the rema of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, okay? And for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to, to be known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains. He says, you know, while you're doing this, guys, while you're in the middle of the spiritual warfare, I'm in chains in prison. And I'm tempted not to open my mouth boldly. You never think of Paul being intimidated, right? But that's kind of what he's saying. Would you pray for me that I could boldly proclaim the gospel? Because it's not easy in the situation I'm in. I need that too. I need that word from the word to empower me and to move me forward. Okay? Um, questions, thoughts, anything on, on, on this? I mean, we could spend a lifetime on this passage, but any questions, any thoughts before we kind of move to the next thing? We're good? They are different words, um, and I actually think in here, I don't know if he goes into that de much detail. He does actually address that in his book on page 46. Go to 46 in there. Uh, first new paragraph on that page. The Bible also indicates that Satan has a whole army he uses against us. Uh, there appears to be seven categories of sat satanic underlines, uh, although some scholars interpret these as various... Um, applicable Bible passages indicating nine categories. Regardless, it's quite impressive organization. The enemy is running. Important to see he does. he's not a small-time crook. So there he goes into th thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, principalities, and powers, rulers of the darkness, unclean evil spirits. So he doesn't go into the Greek there, but he does go into structure. And understand this, too. This structure is not a different structure necessarily organizationally than God has his angels in. They've just been perverted. Just been perverted. You know, typically evil will do that. You know, um, uh, Adolf Hitler modeled the SS after the Jesuit order. 
because he said it's the most, it's the most, it's the best organized organization he'd ever seen. And of course, Adolf Hitler was a Roman Catholic, you know, so he knew the Jesuit order. Getting hot? Anybody warm? I got one fanner going on here. Okay, we we can just turn it on for five minutes at a time. We we know how to handle this. All right. Yeah, I think I, I think I think it's a really great question. I I don't think I've got a great answer. I think your questions are far better than my answers. Okay, C thank you very much, brother. Um, but I do think this. I think that um, think about like senators and congressmen. They have different roles and different points of leverage than do mayors. Okay, city council members. So I think in some ways we have to think of hierarchy. We have to think of structure. So, for example, if I go to, just mark this down, Daniel 10. This is a pretty familiar passage for us. In Daniel 10, um, the, um, okay. In Dan Daniel chapter 10, um, Daniel's praying, and remember, he's, he's, he's in a 21-day fast. Remember that? And there is something special about 21 days. It's three, it's three groups of seven. Three is a divine number, right? God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When he created you, creating his image, body, soul, and spirit. Remember the tabernacle had the holy of holies, the holy place in the outer court. It was three. Remember that? When God wants you to see something about his greatness, he created time in past, present, and future. When he wanted to give you uh, something, uh, signs in the heavens, he did sun, moon, and stars. So, so that, and then seven is a number of completion. So, a 21-day fast is significant for that reason. So Daniel's in a 21-day fast, and as he's there, his prayers aren't coming through. Michael shows up. Michael's the warring angel. Specifically, it looks like a sign to Israel. Michael shows up and said, from the day that you began to pray, your prayers were heard, and apparently he was supposed to come and bring the answer. He said, but I was hindered by the prince of Greece. That's one of those in there, Doug. So there is a there there was there was a demonic force behind the government of Greece that was moving the chess pieces on a very high and cosmic level. Okay? And he said, and I must leave here and go and go contend with the prince of Persia. So we can assume that that gives us a little insight into that that structure okay, within that angelic or demonic world, that there are assignments given. I think the greatest thing we can do is when we pray is not necessarily direct our, our work toward that, but, but rather infuse light. Because what happens, when, what happens when, when we begin to praise God? Who shows up? God shows up in greater presence and greater power, right? What happens to darkness? You know, I always like to give this illustration. I've got a handful of darkness right here. 
And what I want you all to do is watch my hand carefully because I'm going to release it in this room. Everybody watching my hand? I want you to tell me when you see the darkness go. Well, you didn't see it, right? You want me to do it again or will it, you, you want your, you know? I mean, Ted's got this $5 bill thing that he makes scams money from people on. If you can catch this $5 bill thing. All right, Ted? You see, and so why can't we see it? Because the light overwhelms the, the, the darkness instantly. Um, just take your Bible for a second here. Let's go over to, uh, to John chapter 1. Okay? John chapter 1. Okay? Here's what it says. NRK Henho Logos. Proston Theon. Kythios. Huh. It's Greek, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. God was the Word. But here's what it says. And the darkness cannot comprehend the light. That's literally what it says. It's translated overcome. It's literally can't even comprehend it. That's how overwhelming light is to darkness. It's just completely overwhelming. In the beginning was, uh, look at verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What is that? What is that? There's a sense in which, have you ever noticed how when Jesus sometimes he's, he's dealing with the demonic forces and, and he goes up and, and this demon will speak back to him, which, you know, that will always wake you up, by the way. When people speak with more than one voice and they have a, and it's a woman speaking a man's voice, it always gets your attention, right? Let's just pray that doesn't happen often to us, right? But have you ever noticed how they have some insight into the future, but not all of it? Jesus, Son of God, why have you come for us before the time? Whoa. We'll see that in the passage, uh, one of the passages we'll look at tonight. Um, okay, so let's, let's move on here. So that's the best I can do, Doug. I, I think it definitely that it warrants greater study and so forth. Um, let's go to uh, Mark, Mark chapter uh, 5, okay? By, one, by the way, one of the goals we want to have is we kind of relaunch uh, School of Ministry, you know, here um, in the fall is to try to be a little bit more time conscious, try to get everybody out a little bit earlier and try to really just kind of hit this thing because I know you guys, a lot of you coming from work and you're tired and you're rolling in here. So we're going to try to be as careful as we can with breaks and all that kind of good stuff and we want to give you breaks. But anyway, Mark chapter 5. Uh, then he came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Geraldines and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there he was met, out of the, um, met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Coincidence or not? I mean, I mean, what's the chance of this happening? He come out of the boat immediately. There met him, uh, met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Why not? Because there was a supernatural strength this guy had, right? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And I'm complaining about a bat, right? And always, night and day, 
was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. You ever wonder why people cut themselves? I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of, lot of discussions with a lot of young people that cut themselves. Why do you do that? I just can't feel, I can't feel anymore. I've become numb, right? And you see, it's, it's, part of an, it's part of a demonic activity to destroy because remember, Satan is a liar and a murderer, right? What does he want? I will kill you all at once or a little at a, a, little at a time. Any way I can get you, I don't care. Notice this. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Wow. This dude can't be chained down. He runs to him and, and falls down to worship him, and he cries out with a loud voice saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Wow. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is your name? And he answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. So Roman Legion was 6,800 men, roughly. Was he saying there's 6,800 demons in him? Maybe. He was at least saying there's more than one in there, right? Something's going bad in this guy. The, Jesus said, when, when you remove evil from your life, if you don't fill it up with good, what happens? Comes back sevenfold, right? Well, you can see how that could, that could happen over and over again, just over and over again. It's happening here to this poor guy. For we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding in the near mountains, so all the demons, all the demons begged him, saying, send us to swine that we may enter them. Why? Because demonic spirits need a host. And here's where you find out that pigs are smarter than men. And at once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out of the, and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. That's how you know pigs are smarter than men. I'm not living like this. I'm, getting, I'm in it right now. <laughs> right? There's something. We don't have time to go into it now, but um, there's something in Scripture that talks about the waterless places. And that, um, that when Satan fell, he turned the world into a howling wasteland. So I'll let you just kind of st- study that a little bit. You brought me your, your phone. He brought me the Greek New Testament there, and half those words I can't remember anymore. So I'm just going to leave it, bro, all right? I can still, I still got the book of John in, in Greek. I can quote it, in, most of it in Greek, but it's about all I can give you. Um, okay, so... So let's look at that story a little bit here. They begged not to be cast out because they had built a stronghold in their life, right, in, the, in Legion's life, okay, in that man's life. Now, I want to just read a little bit further into this. Verse 12, so all the demons begged him, saying, send us in the swine. At once they gave them, he gave them permission. Okay, you can do that. About 2,000, they ran down, they drowned. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city, in the country, and they went, out to the, to the, uh, they went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw one who had been demon-possessed and had, uh, and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. Now this is what I love. And they were afraid. 
And those who saw it told him how it had happened and how who had been demon-possessed and about the swine, and they began to plead with him, that is Jesus, to depart from the region. They never tried to get rid of the demon-possessed guy. We can handle that guy. This Jesus, we don't want him anywhere around here. Isn't that crazy? That shows you the mindset of a person who is not spiritually minded. They would rather remain in bondage than be set free. They would rather believe a lie than understand the truth. Because what what really are we? We're ambassadors of truth, are we not? The truth of God. That's our ambassadorship. We represent another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that's not always welcome. Because why? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, because the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually what? Discerned. They can't see that dimension. Then it goes into verses 15 and 16. It says, but we are spiritually minded. You who are spiritual have the mind of Christ. So when you see things, when you walk in the Spirit, you're seeing it from a divine perspective of Christ. You're seeing things like Christ sees it. Okay, so... um, You might be under attack. It might be an area of repeated sin. It might be a past wound. Okay? And what happens is, we're not saying you're demon-possessed, so don't quote me on that one. What we're saying is that that's where the enemy gets a foothold. That's where the enemy slips in one of those doors, and and if he can capture your attention, he'll soon be controlling your action. Right? And we're all subject to that. Ain't nobody... Nobody here is so spiritual they can't fall prey to his tactics, right? So Jesus came for the purpose of, of really setting us free, did he not? Okay. So I'm trying to think here what I could do. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 4.1, okay? Some of these passages I'm going to give you, um, I hope you'll, um, oh, I know what I want to do. Let me do this. Go to 2 Corinthians, rather. 2 Corinthians 12. Okay, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 7. Okay, remember the little diagram over here? Okay, so Paul, in verse 7, uh, or in verse 1, he tells us, and he says, I know a man, verse 2, who in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body or or out, I do not know. Um, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. There it is. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which are not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. By the way, I love the Greek word for fool. You know what it is? It's where we get our word moron. Yeah. I don't know. That's really not really relevant, but I just thought it was cool. For I will speak of the truth, and I will refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears, or hears from me. Now, here's where it gets a little weird. You ready? Apostle Paul. God says, I'm going to take you up here. I'm going to give you some really cool stuff. I'm going to tell you some stuff you can't tell anybody. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
What did God do? What did God do? Okay, we're going to take just a little minute here, and we're going to have a little discussion right around, your, right around you. Just find one or two people around you, and you just kind of come up with what was really going on here, okay? So you got like two minutes, and that way I get a coffee break. If you're done talking already, just keep make up something. Okay, you got it figured out. Who wants to who wants to volunteer somebody in your group to be your spokesman? Just Okay, who who would like to give us a give us your best shot? Okay, I'm going to go over here and bring the mic. Who's going to give us the best shot? What do you think? Mike's Mike's got all the answers. Uh We were in agreement that we thought the, the passage on the thorn in the flesh was a physical affliction. And as you mentioned earlier, there can be physical afflictions that are demonically caused or just natural physical. And this is one that implies that it's a demonically induced physical affliction. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it sounded... Like, it could be a demonic spirit 
And I, I always thought it was a physical affliction until I was reading it again just now. And it says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And then he pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So I don't, you know, it's either a demonic spirit or a physical affliction. It seems. Okay. Who else? Anybody else? Okay. I feel like I'm on a game show. I've always come to this this verse thinking that, um, you know, Paul had always struggled um, with some kind of sin. It talks about earlier in, I think, this um, chapter somewhere that he's talking about, you know, that those things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And the things that I don't, you know, the things that I want to do, those I don't do. So I think when he's talking about this, the thorn in my flesh, he's talking he's talking about a specific sin in his life that he has trouble with and possibly that that sin allowed that door to stay open for this messenger of Satan to be there. But God allowed it. It's not that God sent this to him, but that God allowed it in order for Paul not to become conceited. And he says to Paul, I'm going to allow this because I'm going to, you know, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So God didn't send it, I don't think, but maybe he felt that way after praying so many times for the deliverance of this thing. But I think it was a specific sin that Paul probably had a problem with. Anybody else? You just want to take a shot? Okay, so the word messenger there is the word angelos. Does that sound like an English word? Angelos. A-N-G-E-L-O-S. Sound like a word? This was an angel from God. Right? But what kind of angel? What does it say in there? What does it say in the scripture there? Does it say that? What's it say? A messenger of Satan. So it was a fallen angel, right? And it was given, right? Doesn't say it snuck in. God says, here you go. Here's a nice gift for you. And then it says, of the flesh. And I like the way you tied that into uh, Romans 7 because the flesh here is not the skin, okay? It's, the, it's the, actually the Greek word that, that points to the, the old nature that we wrestle with, you know? We have a new nature, but we also contend with the fallen side of us, right, that we're not perfect, so there is this messenger that was sent by God into Paul's flesh to what? To work out the goodness of God in him. I mean, it's a little weird, right? Because we don't think about God doing bad stuff or what we determine to be bad stuff. But what if in God doing that, that brought the Apostle Paul to a level of humility and understanding that he couldn't have had any other way? Because what does he say? I prayed three times. He could pray for other guys. He could pray for other women. But he says, I beseech the Lord three times. And every time God says what? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you. For in weakness, what? I am strong. You see, here's the thing that's hard for us all to understand is God likes us weak. 
We like to be strong. God likes us weak. Because when we're weak, then we can find his strength. And it's counterintuitive, right? I want to be strong. No, God says, I like you weak. Adam says, I want to be clothed. No, I like you naked. Have you ever noticed that? Man's always trying to, to fix what God has done and be in control. Because we've got this little Messiah complex going on all of our heads. So, I mean, if you think about it, isn't that really what happened with Job? I mean, you know, Satan didn't bring up Job's name. God brought up Job's name. Hey, have you thought about my servant Job? It's when you don't want a name drop. Right? <laughs> Phil who? I don't know where Phil is. Yeah, leave him out of that one. Right? But why does he do it? Why does God do that? Because you see, God God will take something like an evil spirit. He'll take something like that. He'll use it for his good and your and for his glory. We don't like that because we like we like um, romper room God. God always plays fair. Have you ever noticed God really doesn't play too fair in the Bible? I told the guys last night. I you know it's kind of the it's the it's the basis of human wisdom. It's three things. If you learn these things, three things you're going to be miles ahead of everybody else on planet Earth. Here's the first one: God is God, and you're not. Okay, first rule, right? Secondly. God does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants. And number three is God doesn't have to give an explanation. If you just get those three things down, you're like spiritual giant. Because isn't, aren't, aren't those the things that we struggle with? We struggle with, I want to be in control of my life. That's the first one. Okay. Why is God doing that? That's my second one. And God, give me an explanation of why things are going the way they are. That's what we always wrestle with. Now, is this a normal activity of God? I don't think so. This is very unusual. I, I hope, because I don't really want any of this in my life. Amen? I don't want any of this in my life. Okay, uh, one more passage. Anybody need a break, or you want me to just keep rolling when we get out early? Rolling. If you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. How's that sound? Is that fair? Yeah, I was just, I don't know, I was, I'm just thinking maybe, you know, we did a little survey, some of you participated in, and uh, everybody said, um, we don't really need a break, everybody wastes time and gets to know people in fellowships and prays together and stuff. And just. Yeah. You know, I, I actually think it's more linked to humility and lack of sufficiency, you know. Um, because you can be, you know, it says of Jesus he was meek. Remember that? But it never says he was weak. And the word meek is a word that was used when you took, you know, like this powerful horse and you broke its, its will, but you didn't break its spirit. 
So the horse has all the power it always had. It's just under different control. So what God wants us to do is God wants us to be strong in terms of our, our spirit, right? Our desire to win and, to, and to, to see succeed and do great things, but always under his control. It's when we get in control is when we get into problems. That is the human condition, right? So I think it has more to do with that, that he was meek but never weak, that we are to be humble. You know, the word humble is the, the Greek word. It means it, its origin of it. Um, is is when the water ran low in a river. And pride is just the opposite, when the water overflowed the banks, something that will never happen in California. Right? And the swelling pride, you ever read that in the Bible, like swelling pride? You seen that? It's a phrase that's used in Scripture, for swelling. What happens, the water swells over the tops of the banks, and that has to do with pride. So what happens, we, we talk about being puffed up, right? That's swelling, the swelling of it. And there's kind of that base, God bless you. You know why we say that, by the way? Trivia, little trivia. Trivia is it happened in the Middle, uh, middle Ages, and they thought that if you opened your mouth too wide, a demon would jump down it. And just to be sure, you had to cover your mouth and also say, God bless you, because that would ward off all the demons. Anyway, worthless trivia. Okay, so that, that's my best shot at it. And so why does Paul why, do, why, when we get saved, why doesn't God just remove all the element of flesh? Because then, you know, he wants, us, he, wants us in that, he wants us to fight this battle. I like to use the illustration that God puts you in battle to make you stronger. I mean, no soldier ever learned how to fight in a classroom, really, did he? Or her. I mean, they, they, when, they, when they got on the battlefield, they learned some stuff really, really fast. Well, God's got us in a battle. You know, God is, I mean, we've read about it, right? Battles everywhere. And so, but we get, we get stronger and stronger. Um, I had a guy that um, came and spoke one time at our church. He wasn't, you wouldn't even know him. I don't even remember his name, but he, had, he actually was in three different branches of the service. I don't know how he pulled it off, but he'd won like four silver stars and, you know, he, he had two or three purple hearts, and, you know, of course, usually when you get a silver star, it's attached to a purple heart because it's a wound uh, reflected to it, you know. And this guy, when you talk to him, he's just, he was the most gentle. This guy was hardened, man. This guy had, you know, medals everywhere, right? And this guy was the real deal. But he, I just, I looked at him and I thought, this is, this is the warrior that God wants us to be. Highly decorated by the, by the, by the master, but not taking any credit for it. Humble. I, I said, man, you got a lot of medals. He says, you know what? The, the guys that really deserve them are dead. You know? And I think sometimes if we can get some of those pictures in our mind, I think it helps us a lot. Um, let me go on a little bit further. Um, this is on page 13. If that helps you, it's kind of coordinates. You want to mark it in your book. But two objectives of Jesus in his earthly ministry. Uh, one in, in Luke 19.10, he came to seek and to save what? That which is lost. And guess what? As the Father sent me, so I send you. What, what, is, what is one of our responsibilities here on planet Earth? To seek and to save the lost. To tell the story. You're not responsible for their decision. You can't control what they're going to do. 
But if you throw some seeds out there, if you seek them and you, and you want to help people know about Christ and they reject you, that's the, only the Spirit of God can draw a man, right? A woman unto Christ. Only life comes by the Spirit of God. But you want to be out there doing the mission of Jesus. Secondly, 1 John 3, 8, uh, he came to destroy the works of the evil one. Guess what? That's a part of our job too. There was an old hymn. Somebody maybe remember it. Was, um, was it Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying? Was that, was that, was that a hymn? Does it sound like one? Right? Okay. Snatch them from evil. I mean, it's one of the phrases in it. Snatch them from the fire. That's our job, man. We're like, get, get out of there, right? You're in a bad, you're in a bad way. You got to get out of there. Um, go over to Galatians chapter five. This is a really, really important passage. And by the way, Galatians is one of those books where it's probably neglected. And I don't know why. Everybody kind of loves Ephesians and Philippians, and they neglect Galatians. And Galatians is such a powerful uh, book. Uh, how many of you? Like Galatians, read it. Read Galatians a lot. Okay, good, good. Okay, look at uh, chapter five, verse one. Now, now here's what Paul's doing. Okay, actually, um, go to go to Galatians one four. I want to just give you a couple of highlights here. Remember, I talked about this. Uh, it says, "Grace to you in verse three, the, and uh, peace from our Lord, uh, from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this evil." from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. That phrase is also used in Ephesians 1 and, uh, as well. But, um, but then go to, now go back to, uh, I just didn't want to lose that one. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What was the danger of Galatians, the, the, the church at Galatia, was that they were going to go back into the law, into the bondage of the law. And they, they weren't experiencing freedom, and they were, were forfeiting their identity as sons and daughters of the living God. You and I do that. It's funny how we get saved by grace, and we try to prove that, that we love God by, by, by works. We do good works because we are saved, but that's not, but he still loves you. You say, well, I, I know God's mad at me because I haven't been to church in two weeks. No, the pastor's mad at you, but God's okay. <laughs> right? God's okay with that. He loved you when you never went to church. See? We have to get over this, that God just, God loves us, accepts us. I, I want to be in church. You know, I mean, I go on vacation going to church. Tammy goes, seriously? And I go, yeah, I know. I just I want to be here, you know. There's something about it. Okay, look what it says. Stand fast. Indeed, I, Paul, say unto you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. So here's what happened. They got saved, and they said, you know what? Maybe the Jews were right. Maybe we ought to go back to that sign of the covenant, the circumcision, right? It was a sign of the covenant. And they said, because we, we want to make sure. Okay. Now, what they're doing is they're imposing law back onto their life is really what he's saying here. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that is a debtor to keep the whole law. If you want to jump into part of the law, you have to keep the whole law. And guess what? You are not going to keep the whole law. Verse 3, I testify everyone who becomes uh, circumcised is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law have fallen from grace. 
In other words, you're saying grace doesn't matter anymore. When I was pastoring my first church uh, in the deep south, uh, just outside of Baton Rouge, a lot of tradition down there, you know, a lot of cultural stuff that wasn't very biblical. You got to remember this: that the conviction of Christians are not necessarily Christian, or Christian convictions are not necessarily the convictions of. How did I put that? Christian convictions. There are the. I got to get this right. Convictions of Christians are not necessarily Christian convictions. Did I say that right? The idea is you might have a conviction about something doesn't make it biblical. So. Yeah, but I had a cute way of saying it that I've totally messed up, and I shall never try again. I'm now humble. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm out mowing my lawn on Sunday, and the lady comes over, and she says, I can't believe you're, you're mowing your lawn on the Sabbath. I said, well, it needs mowing. She said, yes, but you're not supposed to mow on the Sabbath. I said, I'm not. It's Sunday. Sabbath is Saturday. Well, you know, God's not going to be pleased, not pleased with you, you know, mowing your yard on Sunday. And I said, well... I visit people in the hospital all day on Saturday. I preach on Sunday morning. I mow it in the afternoon, and then on Sunday night I preach another sermon. Then I get in my car and I drive 120 miles to go back to seminary. I take classes all day, help my wife with two babies, and I study Hebrew at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm mowing my lawn. Unless you want to mow it for me on Saturday. Well, she didn't offer that. Okay, so, so that whole section in chapter 5 is a really key one because he, he helps you to understand that differentiation between what can get in your flesh. Stuff can get in your flesh. Look what he says over here, verse 19, uh, chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. By the way, the word sorcery is where we get our word pharmaceutical. Sorcery is actually a communication with evil spirits through drugs. It's not saying all pharma is wrong. It's just saying that that was particularly, that's, you know, the American, you know, the Native Indian, American, uh, Native American Indian, you know, the whole thing for peyote. They said, well, that's how we communicate with spirits. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And so did Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and everybody else. They just used different drugs. Uh, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, evil, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if these are a part of your, your everyday life, not that they're, you, this ha- is an occurrence that happens in your life. If you can do these things, never feel a sense of repentance, then it's showing you that uh, you really never knew Christ. It's really what it's saying. I mean, I eat a pizza and I know I ate, ate it. Can all of God come in me and me not know it? And it not have an effect on my life? Hebrews says, if you be without chastisement, you'd be an illegitimate son. If you don't feel conviction of the Spirit of God, then you, you never knew him. Really interesting. Go to, um, I'm, I'm trying to move quick here because this is it's all good stuff, isn't it? Is this okay? We doing okay tonight? Yeah? All right. If you don't come back next week, I know it was bad. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Now, the reason we we come to this place here, because we use this phrase, demon-possessed, it's not technically a word that's used in the Greek New Testament. 
Uh, sometimes it's just they're referred to as demonized. Okay. Uh, demon possessed sounds like you know like a really bad thing, and it is, and 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 yet it doesn't carry the full weight of it. Actually, the Greek word is the word zomai. It's where we get our English word zombie. A person who is demon possessed is like a zombie. Is that does that kind of open up a little bit of insight? Right? When a person gets to the place of being demonized, they're like zombie-like. Anybody watch the movie World War Z? The zombies scared me to death. Tammy said, I'm going to sleep. I can't sleep now. <laughs> I gotta watch the whole movie and see what happens. And then I lay in bed and going, and then you hear there's something scratching on your wall. No, they're here. <laughs> oh, well. Sorry about that. I, I get off track a little bit every once in a while. Okay, so notice what it says here. By the way, verse 24 is one of the verses that led us to name this church influence, that we wanted his fame to spread. That, you know, and there's uh, three verses that use the word influence, that his influence went out or his fame spread throughout the land. Um, but it says here, notice it says they were afflicted. Some people had various diseases. That's not demonic. Some people had torments. That might have been various diseases, torments. Those who were demon-possessed, clearly that's demonic, right? Epileptics not necessarily have anything to do with demonic, right? Okay? Could be just a natural, physical, something's not working right. Paralytics, okay? That could be demonic, and, and it could not be, right? I mean, there's a woman that... Uh, you know, was, what was a woman who was bent over for how many years? Like 12 years or something? Remember that story? Remember what it was? He was all just hunched over, and it was demonic. And there's probably somebody else who was hunched over, and it was just bad posture. So what I'm telling you is don't jump to any conclusions. That's what we're trying to, to lay because we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff as we go through it, and we're going to try to get into a little bit deeper into it. As we go outside, so there's influences that are happening from the enemy, and really, what this word um, this word demon possessed really means is to have mastery over or have control over. So you, as a Christian, could have you could a demonic force could have some control or sway over you, right? But not necessarily you are. Let's use the word possessed, and there's things inside of you that are evil and controlling you, because that doesn't happen to Christians. We are. It says the Spirit of God is in us, and we're sealed unto the day of redemption. But that doesn't mean that they can't attack us in our flesh. Example, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, right? See, what always messes us up is the Bible. We get this great theological perspective, then we read the Bible. And God always, always has exceptions. You know why? Because he doesn't want you creating a system whereby you think you have all the answers. I think, that, I think God loves having a bunch of different denominations. Where does it seem? You know? Because you know what? It kind of There's something I can learn from this guy over here. Something I can learn from this guy over here. If we could just figure out how to get along, right, that would be cool. I don't mind going over here, and I learned some stuff from this church over here, and they've got a, wow, that's great stuff, and, and they've got their key verses, they come over here, and we got our key verses and the stuff, and they go, that's great stuff, you see? But what we want to do is be able to have that unity in the spirit, right, where, we're, where we're, we recognize that we're not each other's enemies because this guy over here, you know, like, let's suppose somebody comes over here, and, and the last thing they want to do is listen to a song like Alive or Wake. 
and, and dance in the aisle, right? They certainly don't want to be talk, anybody talking about healing. I said, we know the church for you. We should be able to send somebody to a place if they're just not comfortable. Say, I think you'd really be great there. And if, you know, you heard the story about the guy that he just got saved. He went into the Presbyterian church. God's chosen frozen, right? Went into the Presbyterian church, and, and uh, the preacher was up there. It was very quiet, and all of a sudden the preacher says something good, and he said, amen. They kind of looked around like, what happened here? He was just excited. He's filled with the Spirit. And uh, a little bit later, the preacher said something else. He said, hallelujah. They're all kind of looking at him, and the ushers, are they're, they're on the alert now. Security team has honed in. There's something happening over here, right? And then something else, he said, well, praise the Lord. And they go grab this guy. They pull him outside, and they say, what's going on? You know, all this amen, praise the Lord. He says, well, I got religion. He said, well, you didn't get it here. You go on and leave. <laughs> My jokes aren't very good, but they're clean. Right. You didn't get it here. All right, so when, when evil comes, when demonic forces come from the outside, they tempt us to do evil. When they come on the inside, they, they, they move us to act or think a certain way. You ever, you ever talk to someone you know, you, you're pretty sure they're a Christian, and they've got this mindset about something, and you go, I don't, where do you come up with that? How do you process like that? That could be indicative of being under some influence of demonic forces because it doesn't make any sense. No Christian would act like that. And especially if, you know, they never acted like that before, and all of a sudden it's just like, where did that, where did that come from? Where did that come from? I want to tell you a story here, and I'm going to, um, what, what time is it, 8.15? Oh, we're doing good. Almost done. So my dad was born in a small town called Smithton. Did you read it? What'd you think? It's unbelievable. Okay, I'm going to tell you about it, and you, can, and you can get it, and maybe I'll send it to you. My dad was born in a little town called Smithton. His dad was uh, built boxcars for the uh, uh, Missouri Pacific Railroad. Built them all day long. He was a carpenter, and then at night he had a little farm, and he would put torches. My dad said he'd put torches in that horse-drawn, you know, horse-drawn plow, okay, and he would plow. And my dad was older. My dad was born in 1906. If he were alive today, he'd be 100 and what, what is that? However old that is, right? 109? He was 50 when he had me, okay? So my dad lived way back there, right, in this little bitty town. And I remember going there as a kid. Talk about nowhere, nothing happened in this town, right? I'm sure when it was thriving, it wasn't, Right? They had a sign that says coming and leaving, and it was on the front and the back of one sign. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was nowhere. So I don't know why, um, but I, I typed in a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, I typed in Smithton, Missouri, and I put in their church. I think I put in the church. I thought, I wonder if I could find the church where my, remember my, granddad, where my dad went, you know, just this little church there. And. And, uh, and what pops up is the Smithton Revival. Anybody have heard of it? I'd never heard of it. And my dad was born there, right? So apparently what happened in 1996, there was a small town of 520 people. If I get some of these stats wrong, help me out. 1996, small town, 520 people, little church there. I think there was like 
was there 36 members? It's like 36 members, and uh, this pastor and his wife and everybody else, they just started praying for revival. Just praying for revival. They just said, praying for revival. And uh, I think the thing that kind of triggered this was a five-year-old little girl said uh, in church one day, it's coming, and she pointed up, it's coming, it's coming. Well, what began to unfold in this little town was over the course of just a few years, more than 250,000 people came through that, and it was an awakening, a revival that shook that whole town, obviously. And I'm not sure, I don't remember exactly why they did, but they ended up, uh, apparently they said, you know, we've kind of done all we can do in this little town. We're moving to Kansas City. They moved all but 50 people of that church. They all moved to Kansas City, and that church still exists. The thing that, uh, and so I was, uh, it was funny, I was sitting in church Sunday or the Sunday before, and I was just thinking about it, and God just spoke to me. He said, I gave you Smithton because that's what's going to happen here. Because there's no reason why I should have found the, the revival. Nobody here has ever heard about it, right? And I thought, wow. And then God just spoke to me like this. God says, I love to do stuff in, in unexpected small places. I like to take a small boat and start the world over. I like to have my son born in Nazareth, insignificant small place. I like those places, so get used to it. And if you, if you think about Scripture, that is what God does. He even addresses it in the, in the Corinthian letter when he says, God uses the foolish things of the world to what? To confound the wise. And, and I think they reduced it down. They said, why did revival come there? And they said, I think if I remember right, it was one word, desperation. They were desperate for the revival of God. And it just, it stirred me this week. I mean, it just really stirred me. I said, God, that's what we want. We, we want to see you move in a crazy good way like that for the kingdom. Yeah, wow. It is unbelievable. I mean, it's really more unbelievable than you think about, you know, like what happened in Toronto, because you got a big town of Toronto, you got a pretty good Christian heritage there, or Brownsville, or Azusa Street, or just go anywhere you want in the world. You think about, I mean, you think if it's going to happen, it ought to happen where there's a lot of people not 90 miles out in a little farming town outside of Kansas City with 520 people. You're right, like, like Sunday morning around here. So check it out, Smithton Revival. You'll, you'll be, it'll, just, it'll inspire you, I promise. Um, so how are Christians, uh, um, oh, let me talk about uh, a little bit, just I'm going to touch on this for a second. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's suppose... Um, in this whole thing that you say, you know, I think I'm being affected in some way by demonic forces. What needs to happen? Well, obviously, you need to be, and I'll use the word delivered out of that. You need to be released from that, okay? You need to be out of that bondage. Let's suppose in the process, um, um, you're really trying to search it out. God, I just, and here's what I would suggest. Start out just praying. Just, God, I want to thank you. I just want to praise you for who you are. I want to just I, w- I want to just be totally in touch with you. I want to be. I want you to have all the praise. Every every time you pray, it should start with that. Okay, it's kind of the equivalent of when you pray, "Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name." It's the equivalent of that. You're going to just give God the glory and God the grace. Okay, 
And then you say, Jesus, I need to, there's something going on in my life, and I need to get, I need to get mastery over it. I need to get control. I need to, to find strength again, right? Because I don't know why I've got this pattern of maybe discouragement, depression, what, whatever's going on in my life. Would you just show me and then just stop and listen? Yes, Jesus is to show you something. Just wait. Take a pen, and when he shows you something, just write it down. And he might, you might, he might show you something like, he'll show you something like um, third grade, you played a Ouija board. Let me just use that. I mean, I didn't, but let's just use that. Okay, third grade, I played a Ouija board. And it was all in innocence. You didn't mean anything by it. You know, just a bunch of kids, and you were just goofing off. You never thought it had any kind of power to it at all. It was just a, you know, Parker Brothers game. But somehow that became a little crack that came into your life, and what it did was it brought suspicion, it brought a lack of trust, it brought maybe uh, a foothold for the enemy to get in later on in your life, and then you could go back, and, and as you saw that, you began to see some other things. You began to see some patterns of some different things. Maybe it was, you know, some, some parties you went to, maybe it was something else, and maybe it was some drug use or whatever, and you say, you know, maybe there is a little pattern here. I never saw it before, so what are you going to do? Okay, you're going to recognize it right there. You're going to say, God, I want to repent of that. I want to, first of all, stop right now. I want to repent of that. I don't want that in my life. And you're probably going to recognize it as a spirit that has come up against you. Remember when Paul says God has not given us a spirit of fear? Who gave you a spirit of fear then? See, it didn't say fear is just something that's natural. Man, it says there's a spirit of fear. Okay? You don't want that spirit of fear in you. You want, you want love, power, and sound mind. That's how we function. That's how we are at our best, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, God, I recognize this, and I don't know whether this is a spirit. I'm going to assume it is for the sake of this conversation. In the authority of Jesus Christ, I speak to you, spirit of darkness. I command you to go into the hands of Jesus. He can handle it, right? And I put the cross of Jesus between me and that spirit, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me up with love, power, and a sound mind. Because what I'm doing, I don't want to empty something out of my life and not fill it up with the right stuff. Amen? I want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Take control of me. Control my mind. Anything that in my mind that needs to be renewed. When I find myself going back into those old patterns, renew my mind, right? Man, I just want the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter six or 2, verses 15 and 16. I want the mind of Christ. I want to walk in that power. I want to walk in that. And I think if you can just kind of get a pattern like that of, of kind of working that out, tracing experience, tracing a hurt, tracing a wound, whatever, and then speak and just move on. Now, do they try to creep back in? Does, does weaknesses try to creep back in? Do patterns fall back in? Sure they will. You know, generational sin is an interesting thing. We're going to find out more how true that is as time goes on. I was talking to two doctors. One guy is brilliant guy. He actually um, has developed a software of predictability of illnesses. Now, listen to this one. This one's going to blow you away. So, um, you know, a staph infection, you get in the hospital, they tell you to get out as fast as you can so you don't get one, okay? This guy's built a software predictability where he can predict it 48 hours in the future. How valuable is that? 
Okay. So here's something else. Another friend of mine who's kind of an inventor, he's got a DNA, he came up with this DNA idea. It got a U.S. patent in like seven or eight days, which never happens. And they put it at the top for national security. Here's one of the things they discovered in it, that in your DNA contains memory. Ever wondered why you do some of the same stupid stuff your parents did? Visiting the inequity of the third and fourth generations. They've also said that your, your DNA is actually malleable. You can actually move your mind. You can move dimensions of your, of your DNA now, they believe. In other words, I can, my physical and mental state can actually change. Isn't that kind of what the Bible says? You can renew your mind, right? You're a new creature. Isn't that what happened? Isn't God messing with the DNA somehow of, your, of the way you operate in life? Because you see, your DNA, we think about physical, but it's spiritual too, isn't it? You can't separate this stuff. And this stuff is all, you know, there's a quantum physics called something, the law of entanglement. We're all entangled with one another, like it or not. Amen? Okay, let me see if there's anything else I want to say to you before we go. Just I'm going to close with what he kind of something he closes with here, and that is um, um, the disciples go out in Luke chapter 10. They come back rejoicing that demons fell and were cast out and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, hey, I saw Satan fall from heaven. No big deal. Kind of what he says. Hey, I saw him fall from heaven. Don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that the demons know your name or, or, or obey you. Rejoice in what? Do you remember what it was? Your name is written in heaven. You want to get excited about something? Get excited about that. Hey, I, I'm, I'm happy that the enemy, in Jesus' name, doesn't want to mess with me, or at least I got some authority over him in Christ. But he says, you know what you really get excited about? You're going to heaven. You've been saved. You've been transformed. You're a son and a daughter of the living God. What if you lived out that identity on a daily basis? What if you got up in the morning and you said, hey, guess what? I'm a son or a daughter of the Lord. Isn't that powerful? I get to walk boldly into the throne of grace. That's what Hebrews says. Paul says in Ephesians 5, we have access through whom we have now received our reconciliation into this grace in which we now stand. Having therefore been justified by faith, we have access. That word access if you look that up in the French word, the French translation of that, it means to be, have an entree to the king. Isn't that cool? Amen? Okay, so your assignment next week, if you didn't read chapter 1, um, I pretty well gave you most of it, but I would say read chapter 1, read chapter 2. So you just got a pretty easy assignment for these first two weeks, okay? And then we jump into two chapters a week. So there's only six sessions, so we're, we're one-sixth done. All right? Don't you feel good? Give yourself a pat on the back. You did good. You endured one more of my lessons. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Let's pray tonight, okay? All right. Hey, Doug, would you come and just lead us in prayer? I'll, I'll bring it to you. Father God, we just um, praise you and thank you for your word and thank you for the revelation of your word. And um, we just pray for Rhema, as Phil taught us uh, God, for the, the teachings on this very complex and uh, somewhat difficult 
concept of understanding the demonic powers and influences that affect us and exactly how they work and where they've worked their way into our past. And, and like Phil said, to um, just spend some time with you, Lord, and try to find out where the root maybe got planted and, and what doors we opened and, and how it's grown. And uh, we need your grace to uh, to work through that. I know that's, uh, that's a difficult task to go through, and I think all of us... Uh, uh, at one level or another, need to need to do that. We just praise you, God, and thank you for the wisdom of your word and just the ability to uh, to get into it tonight. Just bless us, bring us back safely at the next appointed time. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, and thank Nathan. We put your hands together for Nathan leading us in some great worship. Okay, cool. Hey, everybody, have a uh, have a great week, and uh, the Lord bless you.